Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. If you're looking for nice tea and deep dive analysis about otaku things, you've come to the right place. We love our conversation and discussion, and we're back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by... Hello, I am Isabel, and... This is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about standout anime characters. Namely, anime characters that have stood out in their cast, but they are not the main protagonist. Because sometimes a series just comes in, and the main protagonist is kind of just brushed to the side. Because another character just really, really stood out, even if they're supporting or they're an antagonist, or maybe they are part of the team of protagonists, and you could count them as one of the major characters, but they're not the main character or the main characters. If there is um, more than one, there's usually uh, there's usually two of them. Never more than two, in my opinion. It seems like, at least to me personally, I always feel like people struggle when <laughs> more than um, more than two of the main characters are present. So, uh, but today in particular, we want to talk about these standout characters. Now there can be two situations where that happens and one of them is I already just mentioned which is if like the main protagonist is sort of just brushed to the side and this character really rose above it but then there's definitely other situations where the entire cast is actually very solid it's just one of them managed to stand out despite how limited their appearance is. That's also a very unique standout character because you'd think that a character with such limited opportunities to even show up wouldn't really make an impact. And yet characters like those have made huge impacts to the fandom, to the community, to people who are watching. So today we want to focus on the standout characters that have stood out in anime that we've seen. And Agnes, I believe you are starting us off this week. So what are some standout characters that you've seen in anime where they are not the main protagonist? For sure. I think I had a little bit of trouble with this one because there's so many side characters that do amazing in anime, but they're already incredibly popular, like Kakashi from Naruto or from uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, you have um, Gojo, Gojo, right? So I kind of wanted to like step away from that and look at more side characters that made an impact to the main character's life, whether they're an actual side character within the main character's cast or they're like an antagonist. And the first one that I wanted to spotlight as an antagonist was, um, I actually is... Uh, let's see, I technically have two of them. Which one do I want to do? I talked too much about Golden Kamui already. So let's talk about Asklad instead from Midland Saga. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, um, actually, I was going to say, uh, you know, I could guess which one you picked for Golden Kamui, and I do agree with it. Ogata, I'm guessing. Oh, it's, it's not pick. Ogata. Oh, it's not? Oh, that's No, it's Surumi. Okay, oh, okay, but can, mm. okay. Do you still want to hear know. both? <laughs> okay. Once, once you discuss Askeladd, because I agree, I, I actually think that he is a standout character, even despite not uh, barely appearing at all in season two, people remember him. So I absolutely agree that that's the standout character. But now I'm really curious who you picked for Golden Kamui if it wasn't Ogata. So yeah, yeah. Continue. So I'll, I'll go ahead and discuss both and then I'll discuss my actual theory that I meant to put on this list. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's start with Askeladd. Uh, with Askeladd, as you know, in Vinland Saga, he is a prominent antagonist in Thorfinn's life in season one, where he basically goads Thorfinn into killing him. The entire season is about Thorfinn wanting to extract revenge because Askeladd was behind the murder of um, of Thorfinn's father. And, 
he and in a way he's not he doesn't serve as like that cool mentor in an anime who encourages a protagonist to do the things that he needs to do to become better but Asklad is the foil to Thorfinn in which Thorfinn unfortunately has sort of like a Stockholm Syndrome-ish thing where he sees Asklad as almost like a weird father figure because he had to stay under his tutelage for so long but Mm -hmm. wants to kill him but Asklad in return thinks that Thorfinn is incredibly weak because Thorfinn never actually achieves his goal. And in which Asklad had a very similar backstory to Thorfinn where he was a minority. He was somebody who was ostracized from society. His mother was basically used and basically raped. And he actually killed the man who was controlling his mother and managed to extract his revenge. And so Asklad provides like this really great antagonistic foil to Thorfinn for the entire first series. And Asklad's death is actually very um, cathartic to the audience and not so much for Thorfinn because Asklad dies by somebody else's hands who is pure, which is Knut, versus for Thorfinn, he finally sees that his goal just disappears. Like his entire motivation in life disappears because Asklad is now dead. And I remember so many people watching um, watching the Vinland Saga really loved Asklad at the end of first season because they were like, he's such a badass, he's such a great foil to Thorfinn. And, but I think I like Asklad even more into season two because Asklad is a ghost. In season two, there are a lot of moments where Thorfinn goes into a PTSD mode in his dreams and keeps thinking that he can't escape the life that he has. He eventually confronts a ghost of Asklad who sits basically at the bottom, like the bottomless pit of hell in um, in so-called like Thorfinn's dreams and kind of convinces him and tells him like, well, you could stay here and, you know, accept the fact that you're a murderer, that you killed other people just like me, or you can decide to do something for yourself. And I just thought that was such a fantastic standout moment, even though that's not actually him in character, but just his representation in season two is so integral for Thorfinn's uh, character progression uh, from the beginning of season two to the end of season two. And hopefully into season three, whenever that's going to be announced. So that's why I wanted to highlight Asklad for this podcast. Yeah, no, Asklad is an incredible antagonist. I, to be honest with you, um, and it's weird that I'm saying it probably for Vinland Saga fans, but when I first watched Vinland Saga's first season, I actually didn't think that the fandom would like him. Or would make yeah, him as because popular. he's like a he's like an egotistical maniac who just kills. He's just a mercenary, right? And right. you would think like, oh, this guy should die because you know he killed Thorfinn's father, so retribution to him, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So I totally didn't think that he would be popular, and yet he ended up being a huge character in the community. I mean, people still talk about him. The manga is far, far, far away now from Asklad and. Um, and manga readers still talk and think about him like they just cannot forget him. He's made such a presence. Um, I think it definitely helps that he is such an extraordinarily complicated man. Like he willing I or this is spoilers for people who are listening. So stop right here if you guys plan to listen, uh, watch the full Finland saga. But uh, Askeladd was essentially for the sake of his goal and for the sake of like protecting what he saw as his country and what he finds loyalty to like 
risk his own life in the way that he knew he was going to get killed because of an action he takes, but it was worth it for him if it means he accomplishes that goal. Like, that is a type of fortitude that I really wasn't expecting from him, and I think that's why when he does die or when he does do the things he does, it was so shocking to people. But then you kind of think back and you're like, actually, he is always like this. It's just we somehow miss the signs because he has a facade where he's jovial and like quick, quick witted and seems to always like value himself over everyone else, which is all true. But at the same time, he's also fueled by this singular motivation till the very end that actually forces him to the end earlier in order to reach that goal. So I just he is a very fascinating character and his um, impact left on Torfing cannot be understated for better or for worse, you know, because he's not he's not like Torfi's dad, Tors, who was always like a positive influence. Askeladd has his baggage and uh, and his abuse. And uh, and I think also at the same time, why some people find Askeladd interesting from what I've read comments on is that it does kind of remind them of abusive parents who they mm-hmm. can tell like the hard part is that they can tell their abusive parents do inherently care about them, but they are incapable of caring about the child more than themselves. And that's what I feel like is really present in Askeladd in his sort of parental quote unquote uh, atmosphere around Torfing. So, oh, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it really shows how like Askeladd in a really weird, twisted sense, had a very soft spot for Thorfinn because he saw himself in him. Yeah. Um, and he never bothered to kill him after the first the, the after the first three episodes, right? There was a, he always would tell Thorfinn like, "Okay, come kill me, come kill me," and the rest yeah. of the men would make a sport out of it and being like, "Oh, let's see Thorfinn fail again," but they never really considered the idea of just punting the kid in the ocean and letting him die. Right. You know? Yeah. So in a way, it's a really weird abusive parental and also like Stockholm syndrome kind of it's situation. Complicated. It's, it's very complicated. It's very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> we are glad Thorfinn is out of that situation right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it's complicated. I mean that's the hard part about any sort of bad parents is that it becomes complicated. So uh, okay, well, I guess uh, I know uh, I know Isabel hasn't seen Linda's saga, so um, so that's why I'm I'm not I'm not uh, pushing the. Oh bike no, that's to, okay. Yeah, yeah, I did see the first season, so I did see Asgard like the first part of that. So. Oh wait, you did see the first season? Oh, it's yes. the second season. You it was the second seen. season I hadn't started, but yeah, I pretty much agree with everything y'all said. That you know. Uh, at least when the first few episodes when I saw Asclad, uh and then he was obviously he could have obviously killed like you said Thorfinn uh, so easily but he didn't I was like okay he's here for a long time and it was he's here for a reason <laughs> yeah he's here for a reason he's he's going to be you know um, a fatherly figure to him although not exactly the fatherly figure that you want um, mm-hmm. but yes it, it was definitely interesting to see him and then also I just really like his character and that he doesn't really like he has all these internal struggles as well, but he doesn't show it um, up yeah. front, obviously. So I feel like that's the hard part. Like he could easily break and change his character based on his thoughts, but he really doesn't, and he really tries hard for that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what was really funny was I was at Anime Expo this past year, and in one of the convention halls, I was heading over to the next panel, and I managed to spot an Asclad cosplayer mm. who was walking the opposite direction for me. And I was so excited. I was like, Asclad, can I get a picture of you? And he posed. And it was such a great cosplay because 
at the time that I was in the convention hall, it was still like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning. So there's still a lot of light outside. And with the camera exposure, you could see that the background behind him is almost all white from the light. And it almost looks like Askeladd coming back from the afterlife. So I just wanted to share that. I thought it was really cool after season, season two. So... Uh, okay, so uh, I I know you have another antagonist for Go to Conway, but not Ogata. So who are you thinking of? <laughs> it's not Ogata. I mean, Ogata I think is a great antagonist, but the scene where he's the best antagonist is not he- animated yet. It has not been animated yet, so I can't spoil it for anime fans. But the one antagonist whose backstory is already animated is Surumi from Golden Kamui, the leader of the Seventh Division. Oh, yes, that makes sense. Okay. Yes, yes. And I want to talk about Surumi because no one really knew what Surumi was doing at the very beginning of Golden Kamui. People were thinking like, oh, yeah, he's probably like the head of the Seventh Division and he's probably doing the whims of the um, in the Imperial Army of Japan, right? Because that's what he comes off of. He's trying to find the gold. He's trying to take control of the Ainu. And then as the series goes on, there are warped perceptions of who Surumi really is, even amongst his own team. With people like um, Tsukishima, Tsukishima views Surumi as sort of like a very complicated man who he is indebted to and he has saved his life before. But even Tsukishima is caught in this weird web of like, I must remain loyal to this man, but also I suspect that something is wrong with this man and that he has more nefarious goals than he lets on. And Surumi comes off as this very charismatic man who's trying to do everything for Imperial Army Japan. And also he tells Tsukishima, like, I want to take back the Manchurian frontland where a lot of our Japanese comrades have died and I want to give them, like, a proper burial. Like, that in itself sounds very heroic. It sounds very um, noble of him to do. But it turns out that he has more nefarious means. And as you you look through the rest of the 7th Division and you unlock each of the 7th Division's backstory, you realize that Surumi is a manipulative son of a bitch. Um, he manipulated he manipulated Koito's entire childhood so that Koito would become incredibly subservient to him. And also the same with that one... Um, that one that one guy in the seventh division who has like the two moles on the side of his face he also manipulated him into joining the seventh division too and then there comes a climax in surumi's backstory where it turns out that he actually bears a very strong grudge towards asirpa's father um, who did some who unfortunately brought an accident basically to Surumi's life and Surumi basically basically was like never again this is partially my own vengeance and my own um ex- my own it's my own vengeance and instead of like this noble cause for the Japanese Imperial Army and it just and when the reveal happened when it was revealed that it was Surumi's backstory I remember being incredibly shocked when I read the manga and I don't I don't I, I don't recall if you remember this too Gracie but when you saw the ending in the animated version you were also really shocked too oh my my jaw dropped right it's I, such I, a it good just, reveal it, it just went like it opened it I just screamed and yes it. it's so, so good <laughs> Like, it's so incredibly good. I was, like, jawstruck when I read the manga. And then the anime just blew everybody's expectations away because nothing could have made you realize and, like, connect the dots so fast in that one scene in Surumi's backstory. And that's why I really like Surumi because he's just this charismatic, this very complicated character that has multiple motives 
and can give reasons why he's this way to multiple different types of people. So that's what, and he kind of stands out a little bit from Asklad in which Asklad maintains like one personality to show like, oh, he's very jovial. He doesn't care, but he's committed to this one goal versus Surumi has like multiple faces towards the seventh division and towards his own enemies too. So that's why I really found Surumi as a very standout character in Golden Kamui. For sure. And I think if I remember correctly, Isabel, did you like Tsurumi? Were you one of the ones who were really like who likes him? No, I did not like him. I found him oh. kind of creepy. Oh, okay. he's very so, creepy. No, absolutely. Tsurumi is like I feel like someone in our creepy. team liked him. Maybe it was Nico who like mm. found him fascinating and stuff. And so It might have been Nico, yeah. Yeah, maybe it was Nico. Um, but yeah, so did Tsurumi stand out to you, though, as well, in regards to the entire cast? I mean, Golden Kamui has a large cast, so... I know, that's why I, like, forget some of what the characters do. Sometimes I even confuse their faces sometimes. I mean, Tsurumi's hard to, like, obviously forget, but, like, some of the other characters, I'm like, where did I see you again? Um... Yeah, 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 I agree, yeah. Yeah, that happens. Um, but otherwise, I didn't think he would be a major character, actually, so I was surprised we got got more of him, and I was like, okay, I did, I totally did not expect that, you know, from his story and everything so honestly i was pleasantly surprised by him so i grew to like him a little bit more but i still find him creepy is what it is <laughs> oh he's very creepy like there's no doubt about that he has so many moments where he's incredibly unhinged and also very mm-hmm. hornily horny repressed too <laughs> to to um to for a lack of better words so I completely understand that he's creepy. That's why I like Ogata more, because Ogata is a little less creepy. But even then, <laughs> it's questionable taste, right? Uh, alrighty, so what is uh, that third one that you had on your list? Because you were only going to pick the, uh, you were only going to pick one of those two. <laughs> right, so the third one that I wanted to pick on my list was an actual female side character. But I saw it was really hard to find a female side character in anime because... I hate th- to tell you this, but... I struggled the same way. Right? Like I wanted to pick one of each, uh, a, a, a male and a female standout character, and the male one came instantly. And the it female was so one, quick. I was like, I am <laughs> browsing and browsing and browsing. I so spent the I last hour it. browsing through like 20 different top 10 anime side, best anime side characters that outshone the main character, and none of it features a female character or rather a female character that i have a very deep investment for that she isn't a main character mm-hmm. um and i w- i was very relieved though that you mentioned earlier today that it's okay to have to spotlight a character who's part of like the main cast like the group of main cast characters but compared to the main character they don't get a lot of screen time in general and the per- and the female that I want to spotlight for this podcast is actually Konatsu from the Descending Stories of Rakugo. Ah, oh, okay. She is probably my favorite character because she's so incredibly complex. She doesn't have a lot of a role at the beginning of season 1, oh, but for you sure, definitely yeah. see a lot you best definitely sympathize very much with her in the first episode which is about an hour long mm-hmm. in the first season where she's this tomboy who lives underneath um 
the ninth the, the ninth generation Yakumo, and she's trying to follow his footsteps into becoming a Rakugo master, but because of the changing times in which women were now allowed to work, but then Yakumo does not approve of women being in the Rakugo world, she's always at odds with him, right? And she's always screaming at him, she's always trying to rebel against Speaking him. Speaking of and complicated also to- parental relationships. Yeah, that's another complicated <laughs> parental relationship, you're right! They all have complicated parental relationships. Um, but the scene that really stood out to me was actually in season two. I remember it very specifically. It's season two, episode four, where Konatsu accompanies, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the the goofy one. <laughs> Crazy, you talk my memory, please. You mean Yotaro? Yotaro, Yotaro, there we go. She accompanies Yotaro to the, um, to the elementary school because Yotaro is supposed to give a Rakugo play for the kids there, right? Um, it turns out that the child of... Um, of Konatsu is in the is in the middle in the elementary school, and he's been wanting to see a Rakugo play at his school. So obviously they invite um, Yotaro instead to go do it. And yet Yotaro, instead of him performing, he actually pushes out Konatsu to do the Rakugo play herself. And she is like completely caught off by guard because she, at this point in season two, she's kind of rele- relegated herself as like, oh, I'm just a background character. You know, this Rakugo career is not going to take off. I fought really long and hard for it, but maybe now I should just be happy of like where my place is. But in episode four, because Yotoro is just so incredibly supportive of her, she just goes off in her Rakugo and everyone enjoys it they clap for her they scream her name and her son is so incredibly proud of her and she herself is just blown away by this reception and could have never dreamed that she would do something like this and as the series goes on in season two you can see that Konatsu's behavior changes much more dramatically she's now more confident in herself she's now able to do rakugo and she's not afraid of you know these old customs of rakugo or even she's not even afraid of yakumo even and so that's why it was a really big standout scene for me when i was watching uh descending stories of rakugo and i actually rewatched that episode multiple times too so that's my uh pitch for konatsu yeah, um, I think it's interesting as well because even in the first season, I remember Konatsu because he was she was just this little precocious girl, and I don't know, I, I love little precocious girls, so I thought her <laughs> portrayal was just so sweet, and even if it was just the first season alone, I just can't forget her like excitement and her brashness, and uh, there was this adorable part where she got to see Yakumo and her dad like perform together for the first time, and she was like jumping up and down, and it just you know it made my heart melt until it froze over because of what happened later so. <laughs> um but isabel what were you gonna say i saw i interrupted you <laughs> oh no i wasn't gonna say anything sorry go ahead oh really okay um well that, that's really all i have in regards to Kodansa. i feel like you covered it pretty well in that case um alrighty. So then I'll go ahead and move on to my own pick. So my first pick is actually a relatively recent one. And for this one, well, I I feel a little less, um, you know, insecure about this pick because uh, the ones that, you know, the ones that Agnes has picked are all 
um, anime with an incredible cast of characters. Um, and we, we, we wouldn't argue and say that the protagonist was badly written or anything like that. So, uh, so in this case as well, the series I picked is also an anime with the with a cast of characters that I do adore. Every single one of them from the main protagonist and onwards, I adore every uh, all of is them. Is it Haikyuu? No. <laughs> okay, um, sorry, sorry. It's actually Hemel from Free Run. Hemel! Hemel! Me screaming into the abyss. <laughs> I, Did you cry with this week's episode, Gracie? I I didn't cry, but it okay. was just like I was just very emotional the whole way through. It was it was just a beautiful, lovely episode. It it made me like it's bittersweet in regards to you know uh, what maybe they could have had because she didn't realize it at the time, but it's also really hopeful i feel like because it's like that's why she's going to quote unquote heaven to see him and in its own way it was like nothing's ever truly too late even in the face of death strangely enough it's not too late so um so i found i was just really emotional because the whole thing was just very hopeful but um i do want to talk about Himel as a standout character because Himel's um overall appearance is very short he he doesn't have a lot of time and it's literally because we only meet him proper in the first episode and then he dies and this happens relatively early in the first episode too it doesn't like happen at the very end or anything like that and um and the only other times we see him uh we see it in flashbacks and free run isn't one of those anime who makes the mistake of doing a flashback for like five or six episodes long, you know, like Raven's story writing is majority is still taking place in the present, but in crucial moments of like character development or even just like a scene triggering a memory, um, a flashback will come up. And those are honestly pretty short. And I'm sure if you add up the amount of time that uh, Himel takes up the screen, it's actually quite small. And yet, his character is so beloved by the fandom and so well known. Everyone knows Hemel. Everyone talks about Hemel. Um, I I made this tweet about how um you know uh one of the episodes where we find out that Hemel's sword wasn't even like the quote unquote real hero sword. He was using a supposedly fake one. And um, and I just made this tweet saying, like, you know, he called himself a fake hero, but we all know the truth because he is a real hero at the end of the day. And I saw comments from these from men who were like they respect him so much as a man and as a person. And one guy's comment in particular was like, every time I see him, like, I feel so much admiration and I feel so humbled. And I just think to myself, like, how can I be more like him? How can I be? Uh, strong in the way of kindness to be more like Himel. And I'm like, that is some crazy impact that this character is leaving behind. And I find his standout to be so fascinating too. And a big reason for that is sort of the trope that he um, he embodies. So he's a, you know, he's the hero trope. He is kind and he has goodness in his heart and everything he does, he does in from a pure standpoint of wanting to help people and be a good person and save others. And that sort of heroism, I feel like isn't very popular these days. You know, a lot of people like anti-heroes or they like flawed heroes or even heroes who turn out to be villains. But just the pure hero-ness, I feel like a lot of people have turned away from that trope. And yet everyone absolutely embraced Hemel for it. 
I can really only think of two reasons for why Himo works so well, despite his very limited appearance in the series as well, is that one, we do see some quirks of him that immediately elevates him as a character. For example, he knows he's very handsome and he's a bit he's very egotistic about, about the fact it. That yeah. He's handsome. Yeah. Um, it's a very small quirk. It's not, it does not destroy the heroicness of who he is as a person at all. And yet, that tiny little drop of detail adds so much color to who he is. Uh, and I think, uh, and I think ultimately, you know, what the Freer and story is also about how, uh, what matters about people is not just like their heroic actions because how Freeran remembers him isn't really what an incredible fighter, like all, like it's, it's actually insane how, uh, how powerful he is. Like, that's not what she really remembers him of. She remembers him of the small things of like posing for hours because he's a little bit vain and, um, you know, and liking flowers, uh, particularly that blue flower, which has actually become part of Free Run's image as a whole. And, um, and I think, and I think it's just so telling about like, you know, the theme of the story and about thinking about people. And when you remember the things like when you remember people you love, it's not about it's the small things that really hits you home. It's not the bigger stuff. And so, um, but I just, yeah, I find Himel just as a standout character to also just be fascinating as a whole because of sort of, he has a lot of obstacles stacked against him. People in the anime fandom do not like flashbacks, and they do usually don't like vain characters, and they and they, they think the heroic sort of pure hero is very boring, and yet everyone adores him, and I think that's really fascinating. So, uh, so okay, Agnes, I heard you scream, so what would you want to contribute to this? I love Himel. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. You know, I also I'll go agree. ahead and ask you because I don't. I think you're one of those who usually don't like the pure hero. I usually don't. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it about Himel that works for you? I think it's because it's done in the perspective of Freeran and how she reminisces about Himel. This is what I really like, as opposed to a lot of characters that have this type of princely personality. Usually in an anime, it's like, you know, the romantic protagonist um, who has these types of feelings. And then it's done in a, what, a third person point of view. Mm. So I don't really connect very well to the princely character. I'm just kind of like more turned off or be like, oh, okay, it's one of those characters. But I think it's the fact that Himel is done from Freerun's perspective where she sees a lot of nostalgia. There's a bit of a regret and there's a little bit of sadness tinged behind it, but she still tries to live up in his memory and kind of parallel that. And I think that's what re also really elevates Himil as a character himself is that it's all through Freerun's memories and the good things that Freerun sees of Himil and even the bad things too. Um, I think one of the standout scenes of Himil is when the demon girl slaughters the village and Freerun's about to kill the demon girl, right? Because the demon girl is a threat and Freerun has been trained to kill the demon girl. But Himel says, well, why don't we just let the demon girl live and see what she does next? You know, we'll keep a close eye on her, but maybe she wants to redeem himself. And within a couple of months, he gets a quick turner, quick character development arc where the demon girl actually goes against her promise and kills the family that she was living in and she goes back to the family who she first killed and says here 
this is the remaining daughter of the family I was just living in. I am now giving back your daughter. And that's when Himil has this twisted revelation that demons are not great and that they cannot be redeemed unlike humans and elves and dwarves. And so I think that was a really great standout episode for Himel that there is a flaw in the character, but it's such a gentle, like, a revelation for him as opposed to something that thwarts and twists his basal personality, but just makes him more resilient to the fact that what they're doing is actually real. What they're doing is crucial, that they must exterminate whatever that they can. Otherwise, the demons will wreak havoc. And I think that's what made Himel really stand out to me in the end. Okay, okay. And what about you, Isabel? Yeah, for me, um, email, yeah, I, I think it definitely helps that in Freyrin, they're kind of going back on that journey that uh, she had taken before. And so it, it kind of makes these like flashbacks more natural and obviously more reoccurring. Mm-hmm. I think you might notice that in your own life as well. It's kind of relatable. Like if you go back to your childhood home or something like that, you'll, re- you'll like have these memories that you don't even like ask for, but you just remember because it's kind of like muscle memory to you or things like that. Um, and then also, I guess one of the arcs that shocked me was kind of the fact that Hima, when they went to the sword village or the village of the sword or something like that, he couldn't pull out the hero's sword. And I was surprised mm, that they yeah. kept that a secret um, because I, I fully was expecting, oh yeah, he's definitely pulled out, pull out the sword because he was the hero, right? But it was a surprise that he actually wasn't. And despite that, like, obviously that might discourage him, but it totally did it. And then they move forward with that, you know, quest and everything. So I was very surprised by that. So it kind of, it kind of added to his, like, you know, um, sense of hero or heroism, uh, in a sense. So that's what I really like about him. And seeing these, like, little flashbacks builds up his character, even though, like you said, we just saw him in the first episode. And then we saw him as, like, a really old person. And, like, how would you like this character? But... Yeah, he just really grows on you, uh, despite not being there. So it's amazing. Yeah. Alrighty. So um, he is an incredible standout character. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think he's incredible uh, in regards to what he's accomplished to the fandom in just such limited time. But uh, my second choice, which, you know, I kind of mentioned briefly, like Agnes, I had a bit of trouble because I really wanted to choose a girl. and um, And I felt like girls don't, really stand out as much when they're not the protagonist and so um i guess hayasaka is one because she's definitely a supporting character but people really really love her from kaguya-sama but Mm -hmm. um but ultimately that's not the one i went with the one i went with is hizuru from summertime rendering i don't know oh that's interesting is Hizuru the one with the big boobs and the glasses? I like how you start with the big boobs when in my head it's the glasses. It's literally the first, only... But... Okay, I did not finish summertime rendering, so all I remember are very, very suggestive screen caps of her boobs, okay? That's all I remember. Okay, so to answer your question, yes, and that is her. Uh, Isabel, have you seen summertime rendering? I, I can't believe that. I have not. I have not seen it, so I would like an explanation of this character. (laughs) I already have an image in mind, but... (laughs) Um, Hizuru as a character really surprised me, and I do think, I think in this case, she outshone the main protagonist. So Hizuru won our Supporting Girl of the Year award, and I was actually surprised. That was uh, my first sign that actually she was quite more popular than I was expecting. So I went into people who were huge fans of Summertime Rendering when the anime came out. And yes, she is huge in that fandom. People absolutely adore her. And 
I do personally think she outshone the protagonist. And I think it has to do with the fact that from the very beginning, she was, um, what's, uh, gosh, this is testing my grammar now. Um, not passive. Uh, Agnes, you know how you, both you and Isabel, you guys would get on my writing where you're like, instead of using passive verb, what's the opposite of that? Uh, active? Yes. Yeah, active. So, she, so she was active to the whole story. And what do I mean by that? Well, actually, Xinfei, he more or less got dragged into the conflict. Like, he wasn't aware of everything that's happening. And it was clues and stuff that left behind and a power that got planted into him. There were, like, time loops and, you know, time manipulation that sort that dragged him into it. And so most of the series was about him exploring the you know power of the time loop exactly what the limits are cuz obviously if you have unlimited time loops then you kind of have an uh you kind of have a story breaker power in that case and then uh figuring out who the enemies are etc and so uh so he got so he starts off a little bit passive in the fact that he gets dragged into it and he didn't really want to be involved with it but he has no choice now and then really committing to it Versus Hizuru, who from the very start came back to the island with a clear, clear purpose on what she wants to do and what she's here for and how she is going to do everything she can to make sure she accomplishes what she needs to do. And uh, her backstory actually reveals how entwined she is with the antagonist plot and how much of an impact she made in regards to the story even before everything went down where Shinpei actually came back from the city to attend his friend's funeral. And so I uh, so she's just such a force to be reckoned with. I think the I think the other thing that makes her so fascinating is that well first of all they desperately needed just like a pure logical character cuz I'm sorry, Shinpei's dumb sometimes. If I can go on this <laughs> tiny little rant right here. At one point, the antagonist, like, marks him and puts, like, a handprint on his arm. And when he, like, loops back, it never occurred to him to, I don't know, maybe figure out what that handprint means. He's just like, oh, yeah, like, they they left this mark on me. I don't know why. They just proceeds to do everything as normal. I was like, the first thing I would think about is they, they literally leave their mark on you is one, can they travel back in time with you now? And two, can they listen in on you? <laughs> like test it out before anything else. Come on, guys. And so, um, and she is just so dumb when it came to that. So that that whole segment, because a lot of stuff happened and they almost like all got killed permanently. It frustrated me so much because I was like, that's just dumb. <laughs> You're being so dumb. But he's a new doesn't have any of that when she makes mistakes it is from judgment calls that she genuinely thought was the right thing and she's considered everything that she could and so you really feel her work that she put in and the passion and i just like um this is uh this is spoilers again so i i guess i mean we usually cover spoilers but we're we're talking about some pretty insane spoilers this time so uh hizuru does die during the course of uh the plot and uh, when she dies, it was so incredibly well done. Like it, it like felt, it felt devastating in a way where it wasn't like you think it wasn't deserved. Like it was a well written death, but it was devastating. And so I think it's just it, I cannot stress sort of the impact that her character makes and how active she is, 
compared to a lot of the other characters around her. And it definitely helps that she has, she's an adult. So she's one of the adult characters who are very in the know. And um, so she's also able to make these more rational decisions while the teenagers are kind of just sort of like rushing in, which makes us as adults watching very frustrated. And then, um, and then on top of that, I think, um, and definitely her character design doesn't, uh, doesn't hurt her, but I think her death was also just extraordinarily uh, well done and everything about her character just felt more centralized to the plot versus Shinpei, I felt like just kind of got dragged in. So, um, so yeah, I think of uh, the female characters that I was looking at that to me, like were standouts. Um, I think Hizuru actually went above and beyond the main protagonist in this case. So yeah, any questions since I know that, uh, Agnes didn't finish it and Isabel hasn't watched it. So <laughs> Agnes, do you have any questions? Nope, just big boobs and glasses. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I am Sorry. done with you. We are done with this. <laughs> All right, Isabel, uh, what standout characters have you encountered in anime? <laughs> yeah, for me, um, I, I chose characters that were like kind of like, if you like look at the show or something, um, you might see them as like kind of like, representative kind of like a mascot because i think mascot characters also stand out oh, in okay. anime as a side character oh that's that's a, that's an interesting point yeah yeah uh and i think this only came to me because i i watched the um recent studio ghibli movie uh the boy in the heron yesterday oh that just got me thinking about spirit away which i had seen only like a month ago um Again, uh, just I, ne- I had never seen it in theaters before, um, and it's like my sister's favorite movie of all time, and so we went to go see that together. Uh, and I just thought about the character No Face, and how um, in that movie Spirited Away, like No Face barely shows up in in the show, but is such an iconic type of character in a sense. And then if you look at you know the merchandise for Spirited Away or anything re- related to that. You know, no face will be there. No face will be like the coin thing that t- that eats uh, eats the coin. It'll be like your piggy bank, um, or like a stuffed animal or something like that. Um, and so I just thought, like, even though No Face as a character barely shows up, and I don't know why, but throughout the movie, I was actually like waiting for No Face to pop up. I was waiting for you know uh, when uh, they would come in, and then uh, obviously No Face kind of represents kind of like I guess. Uh, kind of like the greed and then um, I don't know what other word to describe him but kind of like the bad things that you would see in society kind of like gobble up obviously a lot of the um, characters in the movie want to get the uh, get the gold from him um, even though it's basically fake Um, but then but then uh, Chihiro doesn't doesn't take that and so in a sense I thought it it was interesting that this was kind of like a side plot line in the movie Um, and then I think that's the only part that, you know, uh, no face pops up. Whereas otherwise, you know, Jiro's like busy trying to <laughs> figure out this world and then also uh, save Hak- Haku as well and more focus on kind of, I guess, like her idea of what she needs to do in the series. Uh, but yes, and then that last train ride in the movie where no face pops up, that's kind of like an iconic scene as well. And so I just think that these little moments that in a movie or any other show could could make a real difference and actually kind of be like the the 
the face of the of the show in a sense um and have and has to be included for any reason um but yes i don't know how long ago you've you've guys seen that movie or what you what do you think of no face in general mm-hmm. oh i did a rewatch of spirited away i think before the pandemic yeah very shortly before the pandemic i was doing a rewatch with my friends because many of them hadn't seen spirited away before they're kind of like lower tiered anime casual weebs instead of us who watch everything every season um (laughs) and now that you say about how popular no face is even though he's such a minor character it also kind of blows me away how much they capitalize his face on every single piece of meat on merchandise and even then i'm just like my brain is cycling through all the memes from uh, spirit away and it's always no face you know there's the the meme of no face like when he gets hit by a wave and it's supposed to and then the waves are written in um, characters of like feels right like you're hit by a wave of feels or um, no face when he's like relaxing in the sauna <laughs> there's so many memes and gifs of that online that it's kind of crazy how his popularity just skyrocketed after the showing of spirited away so it's just really this is a really good point to make yeah, the second you mentioned No Face, I was like, oh, I know exactly what you mean about how he's a standout character. It's it's impossible not to think of him when you think no. of Spirit Away. <laughs> it's actually funny because I don't even think of a Haku. I just think about right. No Face. Me too. I, I mean, think I do, but that was because he was my childhood crush. So I have oh, a different yeah, that's situation right. <laughs> here. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, you're right. Like, it's, it is literally impossible to think of Spirited Away and not think about No Face. He either terrified people or fascinated people or some people actually genuinely found him cute like he made such an impact for a character that rarely talks like he probably had like four lines of dialogue at most so yeah yeah barely at most you know he's repeating the same words and trying to get Chihiro's attention or just like there's just a scene of him like Agnes said bathing and then eating all the food that's all he does. He doesn't really do anything else in the movie, honestly. Um, and he's not like, yeah, appearing or obviously pursuing Chihiro at every instance. So, but yes, uh, he definitely stands out as a character. And you know exactly, you know, what someone is talking about if they mention him. So, mm-hmm. my favorite No Face meme, since he is the center of a lot of memes, is the one with the water washing over him and going. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's the water <laughs> washing of feels, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly that meme. Yeah, I think the other one is when he inhales food like Kirby from the game. <laughs> yeah. He just like inhales all this food and I'm just like, ah, yes, this is me <laughs> every day of my life. And I mean, GIFs of him are so popular. Like we've all seen that GIF of just him sitting beside Chihiro on the train and it's just yes. like a loop GIF. Like that's everywhere. So um, yeah, no, he's an excellent example. Were you ever scared of him? I feel like I watched uh, I watched Spirited Away when I was a kid, and at a certain point, I did start to get scared of him. But I, I well, I guess, you know, did you watch it as a kid or not? I guess it should be the first question, so. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing. I didn't see it as a kid, so mm. it was less scary to me. But um, my sister, who did see it as a kid, I think she found No Face to be okay. She was actually more scared of the of the grandma character she was terrible ah, the baba yaga the witch okay, yeah. yeah makes sense Alrighty, well uh excellent choice of a standout character i think everyone listening who's seen spirited away would agree in fact i think people who haven't seen spirited away would probably agree because they know of that character so everyone what- be like who's haku 
Everyone just remembers no face. Um, all right. So who is your second pick for a standout character you've seen in anime? Yeah, the second one, kind of going along with the same theme as no face, is actually um, the platelets from Cells at Work. Oh, I, I didn't think them about that. Featured okay. on on one of the websites online about like best female side characters. Oh, I think it. it was from Honey Anime. Honey Anime ranked uh, the platelets as number one female side characters. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'll link the article maybe somewhere. But yeah, go on, Isabel. Yeah, because for this, I was actually looking at our own kind of like uh, supporting girl of the years. And I think platelets popped up. It seems like in the fifth anime trending awards. I forget which year it is. Sorry, 2019, I guess. Um, and the supporting girl of that year on our charts, one was Ansu from Hima Matsuri. I have not finished Hima Matsuri, so I didn't go with that. But the second one was Platelet from Cells at Work. And I was like, oh, I remember Platelet. Or, platelet or the Platelets, right? Um, I think when mm-hmm. Cells at Work came out, the Platelets were so popular the second thing. They're just like so adorable and so cute. And then they make me appreciate how they were representative in a this, in this sense, you know, obviously because Cells at Work talks about our bodies and like it's kind of like an educ educational type of show um and so like every time the platelets pop up i just feel like my heart just like melts in the series just like oh what are they gonna do now how are they gonna save you know the red blood cell right blood cell from this and and there's so many little of them right and i feel like they're they're so iconic in that how cute they are and then how they like come in with like positive energy and attitude and kind of like as a group collectively together as well they're like they work together and they have like all those like cute like white caps and i just feel like it would be easy for anyone to like dress up i I actually haven't seen cosplays of platelets um but they kind of remind me of like anya from spy family that Mm, kind of like vibe. i see what you're saying yeah yeah it's the cute kawaii child factor right Mm -hmm. but yes they're just so pure and so iconic to the series that like if you see them i think there are a lot of like you said like posts or memes or things about that like online there's a famous meme for that one, yeah. <laughs> do you know which one it is? Or do yeah, you know, I do. It's the meme where somebody goes like, oh, they're so cute. Like, how long do platelets live in the body, you know? And it's like seven days and everyone just starts crying because <laughs> <laughs> because everyone's now acutely aware of like, don't pick at your scabs and stuff like that because your platelets are going to die. <laughs> so that's why mm-hmm. everyone started that, circulating that meme online. <laughs> I think the one that, um, there are some really, like, dark humor, but hilarious humor <laughs> in Cells at Work. It's the one where it was the creation of the scab, and it's, like, all those red blood cells be like, I'm stuck together, I'm so thirsty. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, like, horrifying. <laughs> so, <laughs> cells at Work is actually, like, minutely horrifying. And then when you watch Cells at Work Black, it's even more horrifying. <laughs> oh, Cells at Work Black, I feel like, doesn't really have humor. In my opinion, like, it's meant. <laughs> it's like quote-unquote humor but it wasn't funny to me but it's like in that case i was like that's funny it's just dark but it's funny right 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 yeah um 
But I think uh, speaking of the platelets and how everyone like it made such a big impact and how everyone used it. I remember being caught off guard from like this anime video I was watching on YouTube where I think someone made an AMV or something like that. I forgot what I was watching it for. But at the very end, he included that clip where, um, you know, the platelets are ordering each other around. But he changed like he put his own subs over it. And he and like the platelets were like, make sure to like this video. Hi. Oh, that's so cute <laughs> and make sure to comment why you like it hi and if you really love me don't forget to subscribe <laughs> and, and someone in the comment section was like you know what that won me over <laughs> i'm subscribing so um i just thought that the way they used it was very clever i have something to confess to you guys on on the playlist for cells at work though I personally wasn't as enraptured by them. Like everyone Oh, neither else. was I. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so really? Agnes and I are in the same place. What, Isabel, go on. <laughs> Wait, why? I'm curious now. Why are they Well, not- I don't like children, first of all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Agnes has a better excuse because here's the thing. I do like children. <laughs> you love children. <laughs> when we went to have Korea- when we went to have Texan barbecue when we visited you, you were like completely zoning out of the three of us because we were there jack was there you did not even pay attention to us and you were the host you were paying attention to the the two children and standing in front of the line with us because they were just like mommy mommy and you were just staring at them with such a fond smile and then your extroversion comes out and you start talking to the mom while these three introverts in the back are horrified of you doing that (laughs) (laughs) Um, i I had a chat with my hev uh person who checked out my items today so <laughs> i talked about chinese chili oil and how it's good to be used in what kind of vegetables <laughs> who did you talk to um the H-P person who checked out my items at the cashier register. oh my fucking god <laughs> <sighs> my roommate was just standing over there waiting for me so. yeah I, I i agree with your roommate what are you doing is insane but yes go ahead gracie keep talking about platelets so I think my thing is I I need kids to if I if I adore children I need them to have a bit of rascalness <laughs> like she wants uh, she likes them troublesome well not even that it's just because there's like the cutesy quiet ones like Kotaro from School Babysitters I adore him I think he's so cute but I feel like platelets were just cutesy and that was it like i didn't get a flavor of an actual personality of a child oh i see yeah, yeah. they like, they we were have... written to be cute for the sake of being cute yes um, in the exactly series right it. okay yeah so it's like you know with meaty from buddy daddy's like she was uh uh uh, uh her so like she she was <laughs> my favorite <laughs> Like, and she has a thing for bananas, you know, when she was doing her little monkey banana dance at one point. And then Anya messes things up all the time. And then even when it's, like, super good boys, like the quiet ones, I'm watching an anime called the Yuzuki Family's Four Sons. My favorite is the baby is the baby boy who's only, like, in first grade. And he, I, I adore him because he's quiet and calm and he seems very mature, but he makes mistakes because... 
he's, you know, a kid and he misunderstands situation because he's a kid. He still has a lot to learn. And so, like, with each of these babies and, like, or these kids characters in anime, I've always adored them because there's, like, elements of them where I'm, like, that's, like, a child, you know, that that has, like, a personality that is waiting to be developed and it's really cute and adorable. I just want to hug them. But with the playlist, they're just so plainly cute that I'm like, nah, I, I get no flavor. You know, this is vanilla. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not anything else. And so, um, so that's the main reason why that playlist never really did it for me. But I, I can't, I'm not saying I disagree with you though, because platelets, I do remember when Cells at Work came out was huge. I saw them everywhere online and like on posters and everything. So I know for a fact they really stood out. It's just like, uh, I just happened to be one of those who weren't pulled in by them. Uh, but Isabel, I was going to ask you, you know, like, what is it about them that you like so much? Because I feel like they also didn't do much in the series or maybe they did i just don't remember no yeah you're right i feel like they didn't do that much in the series either um they just popped in here and there so in terms of like a side character that you know i'm like really invested in it, it probably wouldn't be them in a sense um but i just thought that they definitely made the series is basically what is i do agree with you like they definitely don't have that sense of rascalness or sense of childness they're just it's the way that they're representative or represented are just as ch uh, children but the, like everything about them is good you feel like you can't say anything bad about them they don't really do anything bad and if anything you feel bad for them if they're you know treated wrong or anything like that um but that's about it too <laughs> actually do you have any mascots that you have in mind like i was thinking of uh, you know what would you say, Agnes, that Chopper is a mascot for One Piece? Oh, or? Chopper's 100% a mascot. Okay. They make fun of him in the series of him being a mascot because <laughs> okay. he has his... So, like, you know how in One Piece, all the pirates have a bounty, right? right Luffy yeah. has, like, an, an incredible bounty right now in the current arcs. Chopper's bounty is 50 bucks. 50? That's so sad. No like literally $50 worth in that world. They call it the, the currency is Betty, like a berry. Um, mm -hmm. And Chopper is 50 berries. And that's the running joke is that he's the fucking mascot, even though he's one of the smartest characters in the series because he's actually a doctor. Um, and he is very vital for the team because everybody gets hurt. He's the one that takes care of them. <laughs> yeah, Chopper is actually so important as well. I think he stood out to me as, as a character. Um, mm -hmm. just because he, he, even though he appears later in the series, but like the way that his character design is and everything and how he joins the team, I thought was very interesting as well. He's also a sundere, which I think oh. Gracie probably would have liked <laughs> if she watched the series. There's actually, I actually had to avoid picking One Piece characters because I was like, there are way too many One Piece standout characters to use for this podcast. So an honorary mention to One Piece, but I cannot pick you for this podcast. I also thought that maybe, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because um, I also thought when she mentioned mascot, I thought Isabel was going to pick uh, Elizabeth from Gito <laughs> because they're oh. in a literal <laughs> mascot costume. So. Oh, oh my, my god, god, Gracie, you and your like, it must be literal. She must mean an actual mascot. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting here thinking like, oh, like a, a representative mascot, not a physical mascot, like Happy from Fairy Tale. Or I was even thinking of um, 
the 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 pork the pig from um, the seven deadly sins mm-hmm. hawk because that's also a mascot too but no gracie was like it must be a physical thing wow <laughs> i'm just like god gracie please it's also because i just can't forget the live action elizabeth and that Lindsay <laughs> costume I just okay can't that's it, fair so. that's fair <laughs> oh man okay well isabel were those your two picks or did you have another one uh, those were my two picks. If I if I actually had to go, I just wanted to go with like the super popular one, which was Gojo, because I feel like Gojo took over everything. Yeah, yeah. I also avoided JJK because like Gojo, I feel like is an obvious one. Another one would be Levi from Attack on Titan. Like he Levi, didn't come in yeah. into the second core, but it, like, completely took over the internet. So I know he's, but I just. I feel like those were those were low hating fruits. We wanted to reach just a little higher. So. <laughs> exactly. So. We wanted to be unique and original. Yeah, exactly. We are special, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion of standout characters in anime. Uh, let us know in the comment sections of Spotify because I do believe Spotify has a comment section. And on top of that, or you can uh, where you can DM us or comment on our Twitter at girltaku underscore at for your standout anime characters. But other than that, we will be back next week with another fun topic. So I hope you'll be here next time. Bye everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye.